Think about the best relationships you've had in your life. Who have been some of your closest friends? And what made that group or what made that person so special? How did you all come to be close? How did you all come to bond? There are many factors that go into healthy relationships, close relationships of trust, but three of them that are common, even though the stories are different, these, these factors are common. It takes time. You have to spend time with people, being in the same room, oftentimes doing the same thing, but spending time all by itself does not a healthy relationship or a deep relationship make. You have to give them your attention. You have to focus on the other person. They have to focus on you. They have to hear you, you have to hear them, and you have to care about what they're saying, care about what they're doing. And another factor that uh, promotes healthy and deep relationships, friendships of trust, is going through things together, having shared experiences. So if you grew up playing basketball, there was a team of other guys you played basketball with. You may or may not have good friendships with those guys based on the time you spent together and the attention that you gave together. But it's a natural way to give time, attention, and shared experiences. It'll promote a really positive experience and relationship. And a shared experience is anytime you do something together, but that includes even doing nothing together. Sitting around a TV can turn into a shared experience. Sitting around a campfire can sit into a shared experience. And most of us, those shared experiences, it can be something or nothing, but we prefer one or the other. We want to do something with someone else or we just want to be with them. And that's just a personality difference, but the shared experiences can happen in a lot of different ways. And the point of all of this is that in the Great Commission, we're invited to share in experiences with Jesus. We know what he's up to. Now we're invited to join with him in what he's doing. And it's a task. He says, go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. But it's also a relationship. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. And it's a task that requires relationship, and it's a relationship that invites us into accomplishing a task. So this is our final week in Matthew 26 through 28. We started with the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel according to Matthew. And even that was a task. That's something that Jesus did. According to the scriptures, he said, he had, it had to go about that way. He accomplished a task, but he accomplished that task in the context of relationship. He was relating with God on our behalf. And he earned all that we need for relationship with God. And then the next week, we saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus Christ call his followers to him. He said, go to Galilee, and there I'll meet you. And that's a task. You go do this, and I'll meet you there. But in that is relationship, because relationship requires trust. And so in the midst of their doubt, in the midst of going to an ordinary place to them, they were invited to trust Christ. And then two weeks ago, we started looking at the Great Commission. And the task of the Great Commission is the same for two weeks ago, last weekend, this week. It's go and make disciples. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And the relationship piece is different. All authority belongs to me, therefore go. So trust my authority. Trust my power. The task is the same. But even in giving the task of making disciples, Jesus is inviting us into a relationship of what it really means to be his disciple. Max Barnett challenged me and challenged hundreds of other college students 
when I was in college when he said, can you really call yourself a disciple of Jesus if you're ignoring one of his basic teachings to go and make disciples, if you're not pursuing that with your life? And so again, the task this week is to make disciples. That's the task of the Great Commission. But it's not just a task. It's a task that requires relationship. So the relationship piece that we're going to look at this week is to trust that we are not alone in this task. We're not alone in the Great Commission. Jesus promised he'd be with us always. So let's read this passage together one more time. I'll read it aloud. It'll be on the screens for you to read along. Uh, Not out loud, though. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So as I mentioned, our focus today is going to be on that last sentence, that last promise that Matthew records in his gospel, where Jesus tells his followers, Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so what do you think Matthew meant? Or what did he want to communicate? What was his intent when he wrote those words? Because if we find his intent, we'll find God's intent for us today. I believe that Matthew was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So really, God's intent was to encourage followers of Jesus to make disciples. This is not a promise given in isolation. It's a promise that follows the command to make disciples. And so God is encouraging us to make disciples by reminding us that, hey, we're not alone. Jesus is with us. And we will especially experience his presence as we go and pursue faithfulness in making disciples. So from this passage and the context that we've been working in, going back to Matthew chapter 26 and even up to this uh, point that we just read, there are six ways that Jesus is with us, that God is with us. And so I want us to examine these six ways together today. First is God is with us personally. It's not like Star Wars where the force is available to a few. No, it's not a force, it's a person. God is with us personally. When Jesus says, I am with you, that's exactly what he means. The person of God is with us. And often this passage of the Great Commission is understood as being just before Jesus ascended into heaven and left his disciples. So imagine how you'd feel if you were in that if you, if you were in Peter's shoes and you heard, I'm with you always, and then a matter of hours or weeks, we don't know exactly how long, but Jesus was only walking on earth 40 days after he was resurrected from the dead. Imagine how you'd feel after he descended and you got this promise, I'm with you. You'd probably be a little confused. But it wasn't the first time that Jesus told them about leaving them. And so When he says, I'm with you, he's with us personally, but not bodily. Let's look at John 14. This is before Jesus went to the cross, and he's teaching his followers, his disciples, about what it meant for him to be with them when he's no longer with them bodily. 
He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. And that, in the context, is the Holy Spirit. Jesus mentions that before and after this passage. So he's going to give us the Holy Spirit to help us to be with you and to be with you, oh, to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. There you go, the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know the Holy Spirit because he lives with you and he will be in you. So the Spirit is not an it, it's not a force, it's a person. And therefore you can know God personally as his Holy Spirit lives in you. And Jesus, in fact, fulfills this promise of being with us always through the person of the Holy Spirit. So I think it's easy. In fact, I've talked to a number of Christians who feel like, man, we kind of got the short end of the stick. These disciples got to walk with Jesus. They got to touch him. They got to watch him eat. And we just get the Spirit of God living in us. But that's not what Jesus thought. In fact, he taught the opposite in John 16, 7. He says that having the Spirit inside of you is better than having Jesus in body beside you. Look at what he says. Very truly I tell you, and again, he's talking to his disciples in the final discourse, it is for your good, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, again, the Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I'll send him to you. So Jesus, and remember, we are his disciples, he is our master, we're apprenticing under him, he's telling us what's good for us, and then he's giving us what's good for us. Walking with God in the person of the Holy Spirit is really what's best for us right now. And one day we'll know God in all of his fullness, but in the meantime, this is what it means to be in relationship with God. This is how we can expect to experience God and to share in experiences with him. He's not physically present, but he's still present. The world doesn't know him, but you know him. If you've accepted Christ as a savior of your life, the one who forgives all your sins, and the leader, the Lord, the one who you live under. He's your authority. So how? If, if, if Matthew wants, if God wants us to be encouraged to make disciples through the presence, then how does God being with us personally in the Holy Spirit encourage us to make disciples? Well, it means we still have access, we still have availability to the very best disciple maker there ever was. So it's not up to you and your experience your Bible knowledge, as if that's how Jesus made disciples. No, that's not how Jesus made disciples. It's not up to us to make disciples on our own. No, we have the presence and the power of God to do that. And as we do that, we'll actually be instructed ourselves. We'll grow as disciples. And it's also encouraging to remember, hey, we're in the best possible position to succeed because Jesus says it's better for us to receive the Spirit than to have the physical presence of the Messiah, the Christ, beside us. No, we get the Spirit inside of us. So Jesus said, you make disciples, I'll do it with you. That's the essence of this promise in Matthew 28. So the second way that God is with us is that he is with us in power. Today, actually this morning, I was at the grocery store, and oftentimes you get really weak assistance. <laughs> at a grocery store, hey, where is this? I'm always asking where things are because I don't know. And uh, where, where are the batteries? And uh, he was like, oh, up in the front, you'll see a little, 
thing. And I'm like, oh, that's not really helpful. You know, that's, that's uh, you're giving me some vague direction. It doesn't really empower me to find the batteries. But Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. And we looked at this passage a couple weeks ago, and it's such an empowering promise for us if we want to be serious about being disciples of Jesus and making other disciples, we need to remember that, hey, it's not on our power. Jesus has all the power. And in him, in that person of God, we have the power that we need. So again, this, this summer, here's another illustration. This summer, I'd often come here uh, to this church and feel overwhelmed at all the work that needed to be done before we opened up uh, as a new church here. Uh, just work that we wanted to do. And uh, I'd, I'd just be overwhelmed because I saw it, but I couldn't get it all done on my own. And then God answered that prayer. He came alongside of me through many of you coming on Saturday mornings and helping paint and move stuff and doing so many things that I didn't know how to do on my own. So that was a shared experience that we had together. But before our peers, we're all both needy and needed. I needed you, you need me, and we're all needy, and we, and we need each other. But before God, we're just needy. We don't have power to help out God. And so when it comes to making disciples, we're just needy. And we can experience God with us as he meets our need. God calls us to do something in the Great Commission that we can't do on our own. But he does that very intentionally so that we can experience life with him. Life in his power. So how does Jesus being with us powerfully encourage you to make disciples? Um, I was thinking about... Uh, all the things I can't do this week, and one of them is bench pressing 300 pounds. Um, I can't do that, but if the rules changed so that a spotter could help me, and if that spotter could bench press 300 pounds, you're looking at a guy who can bench press 300 pounds if you change the rules like that. And the only way to lose in that scenario is just to not get under the bar and not try. Uh, that's exactly what it's like for us as followers of Jesus. The only way we lose is to not put forth the effort. Grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So put forth the effort and trust that God has the power to do what he promised to do. And it's not up to you and me and what we bring to the table. He will use you, but he will do more through you than you can do on your own. The third way that God is with us according to this passage, is God is with us eternally. It says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And oftentimes, at least for me, probably for some of you, grew up thinking about eternity as the future, but eternity just means all time. And that's what Jesus says, I'm with you always from now to the end of the age. And of course, if you read the rest of the Bible, you'll know that at the end of the age, his followers are still with him. So he is with us always, and that includes right now. And as I reflected on this promise of relationship with us always, I realized that the best relationships are the ones with the most commitment. And that's why when the marriage vows are lived out, it's the most satisfying relationship that anyone will experience on this earth between one man and one woman. 
Marriage is the highest form of commitment between two people. And so that when they commit to each other, they, they do that until death parts them. But here is an invitation to a relationship so much more satisfying than marriage because it has an even higher level of commitment. The commitment doesn't end with death, doesn't end when death does us part because death will not part us from our Lord. He defeated death, so we get to be with him forever. So when God says, I'm with you always to the, to the very end of the age, we get to be with him always. Think about how much time that is. Think about how much attention we can give and receive from him. Think about all the shared experiences that we'll have with God, both now as we walk with him and forevermore as we walk with him into eternity. With such a promise of pleasure, why wouldn't we want to engage in what God is doing right now? Why would we want to miss out on shared experiences now and just look forward to the shared experiences of heaven in the future? No, that's, that's not the picture of the kingdom that Jesus painted. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's what Jesus preached. Experiencing God can happen now. So Jesus also promised to be with us purposefully. So God is with us, and there's a purpose to him being with us. Uh, depending on your translation of this passage, it says, surely I'm with you always. But if you have a more literal translation, it'll say a word like, lo, or behold, words that we don't use a whole lot. But those words connect Jesus' command, the task of making disciples, to this promise. It says, make disciples, and then behold, pay attention. I'm with you always. And so we know exactly what he's doing. We know exactly where he's going with this promised presence of God. That he's with us always as we make disciples. And I knew an atheist in college who wanted to use God's presence the way that he wanted it to be used. He had a purpose for God's presence himself. And that was, if someone could summon Jesus Christ bodily in front of him, he said, then I'd believe. Then I'd believe that he was real. And though it might not sound like an outrageous request, that really is an outrageous request. It, it doesn't sound like an outrageous request to some people because what we see matters. And how can I know if something's true if I can't see it? And a lot of people live like that, or at least they say that they do. I don't believe it unless I see it. But nobody sees everything they know, nor do any of us know everything we see. We see things that perplex us. We don't know everything we see, and we don't see everything that we know. And the most outrageous part of his request was an utter disregard for the purposes of God, that maybe, just maybe, God had a reason that Jesus is not bodily right now. Just like Jesus said in John 16, it's for your good that I leave. And God has already shown up in bodily form. He's not taking requests as to how his presence should be used. Because if he starts taking requests about what he should do, then he ceases to be God. So I share that story because God isn't looking for you or for me to tell you, hey, here's what I want to use you for, God. No, he's inviting us to come and be used by him in what he's already doing. And it's very clear from this passage, it's very clear from that word, behold, surely, 
that his presence and walking with him is connected to what he's commanded us to do. We will experience him as we say yes to obeying him. So how does Jesus being with us purposefully, that he has a purpose in his presence, how does that help us and encourage us to make disciples? Well, like I said, you don't have to wonder what he's up to. You can be encouraged in making disciples because of his promise to be with you always. And the fifth way that we see Jesus is with us is undeservedly. Let's back up now in the narrative that we shared the first week together. Matthew 26, 31, Jesus told his followers, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, and he quotes an Old Testament prophet, where he says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So what happened was God striked the shepherd and the sheep of the flock were scattered. And all, what that means is all of Jesus' closest friends left him. And so when they came back to Jesus after the resurrection, what do you think Jesus said? You left, you left me at the cross, now it's time to meet, for me to leave you? Not at all. Jesus said, in this, in this promise that we're looking at today, surely I'll be with you always. So Jesus implies, you left me at the cross. They knew it. Jesus knew it. He didn't say it, but you left me at the cross. I'm not going to leave you ever. That is God with us undeservedly, right? And this week, I got to experience again. This has happened multiple times in your life too. How good it is when someone gives you something you don't deserve. And for me, that happened this week when I got worked up over something that I shouldn't have, and I was talking on the phone with a friend about it, and I didn't even realize how worked up I was until uh, I intentionally started getting pushy and a little bit unkind with my friend. And then he responded kindly to me and uh, showed concern and attention. Um, just He showed kindness back to me, and then I started to see what I was doing. And I apologized, and you know what happened? A friend that I love a lot and that I trust a lot, I loved more because of the grace he showed me. And I trusted more. And that's exactly what happens as we walk with Jesus. Maybe some of you have tried to make a disciple. You've tried to impact someone's life for Christ, both believers and unbelievers. But you've got discouraged. And somehow you got derailed. But learn... Understanding how undeserving we are and, and knowing that truth more deeply, that's exactly what happens when we walk with Jesus and pursue making disciples. We mess up and we continue to learn how, how much he really is with us still and how much he wants to change us and how much we need him. And so through all this, we're encouraged to make disciples because we experience that love that we don't deserve and then we want to be with that person more. I wanted to be with that friend who forgave me and showed grace to me more. And as you experience the grace of Jesus covering all your shortcomings and inspiring all your efforts, you'll want to be with him more. And so finally, the sixth way that Jesus is with us is he is with us undeservedly. Oh, that's the fifth way, making sure you're paying attention. It's, it's similar to the fifth way. He's with us substitutionally. And the Word document that I wrote 
says substitutionally isn't a word, but you know exactly uh, what I mean when I say substitutionally. He took our place. He was our substitute. And we saw that in the gospel that first week we were together when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he quoted Psalm 22. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's with us substitutionally because we deserve to be forsaken. But instead, we get this promise of his presence. We get this promise that he's with us always. So instead of being forsaken, we're together. We're in his presence. We have him. We deserve to be forsaken. This is the gospel, that we deserve to be forsaken, but instead we get to experience life with God right now and forever for those who trust Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way, Jesus knew no sin, and he became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, perfectly right in God's eyes. And so, in all these ways, and there are so many more ways than these six, but in all the ways that God is with us, what should our response be? Well, let's look again at Matthew. This is the end of the book, but it's not the end of the Bible. What happened after Matthew? The church started, and the church started making disciples, and the church was messy. And you can see that in the New Testament. You can see that in the book of Acts. But they responded by grateful obedience in making disciples. They were grateful for what God had done in Christ, and therefore they wanted to obey. They wanted to follow. And our response today in the 21st century is the same response as theirs in the first century. Grateful obedience expressed by making disciples. It's not because we have to, that's because we want to. That's what grateful obedience is. And as you do that, you'll experience a growing relationship with God. We are invited to share an experience of what Jesus is doing in the earth right now, what he's doing in your life and my life right now. And as we share in that experience with him, we'll get to know him better and he will change us. So this is a task The Great Commission is a task that requires relationship. And the relationship actually invites us into accomplishing that task. Let's pray together. God, thank you for letting us know what you're doing. You're making disciples. You're teaching them to obey everything that you've commanded us. Thanks for inviting us to join you in on that. We commit to being your disciple and to making disciples, giving you our whole lives. We commit to inviting others to live under your leadership with us. We're so glad you haven't left us. We're so glad, God, we get to do all of life with you.